It is good to be here, uh, just especially Mondo and Gay. Um, we've had so many people, it's good to see all of us here. Um, but in the last really four or five, well, six weeks, uh, you know, we went pretty much unscathed as a church with the coronavirus. And But since really in the last month and a half, you know, we, Don and Patsy and the Kalenbrinks, the plots, uh, you know, we've had one family after another. Uh, Rick Dubeck is recovering. Mondo uh, over there, he was sick and had been sick for, well, about 22 days, over 20 days. And uh, so everybody is uh, recovering. I will say this, uh, the Plotz family, um, you know, they, everyone uh, had it or has had it. Uh, Jeff is recovering well. Julius, very little symptoms. Jackson's been puny. Uh, Amy, she's on the other side now. She told me that Jeff was had, had his best day yet yesterday. Um, but Jeff's mom and dad, who are in their 80s, uh, both uh, have had the coronavirus. They were both in the hospital. His mother was released and went home, and she was really the one that her health has been um, more precarious. But his dad is not doing well. And so I just ask you, obviously we've been in prayer, we'll continue to be in prayer, uh, but pray uh, for those folks. And uh, obviously Jeff's dad, his name is Lou uh, Plotz, uh, and, uh, and so the McWhorters as well. Uh, David and Kayleen, are, they're on the road, or Kayleen's, uh, Kayleen's on the road of recovery as well. So, uh, but so many to be prayerful for. I'm thankful that Mondo's here and the Kalen Brinks are here and... Uh, David doesn't recommend it as a diet, uh, so uh, I don't recommend it at all. But uh, it is it is good to be here this morning. Uh, I want you to go to First Kings chapter five. Uh, just go there very quickly. I'm going to reread uh, the passage that we've had for our Advent season uh, as just a starting point. But I want you to go to First Kings and uh, chapter six, um, and then I'll be reading again. That passage out of Isaiah uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 6. For a child will be born to us. This is Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This morning, we the last two weeks, we've uh, talked in relationship to this Advent moment. Um, about those names, the title of Christ, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. This morning, I want to focus on Eternal Father. Now, there was a reason that I had Paul read that passage uh, out of Ezekiel. There's a reason we'll look at a brief uh, passage here in First Kings, and then I want you to go to John chapter 10. Uh, but let me just say this. I, as I was approaching this lesson, I thought to myself, uh, one of the thoughts that I had, I don't know if you've had a a unique place, maybe a special place in your life where you could look back and you could say or have a memory of something that was really meaningful for you. Um, this morning, we're going to look at the a place, Solomon's porch, Solomon's porch. But as we look at that throughout Scripture, um, in Specifically in one area, it is in Solomon's porch, and we'll read in the Gospel of John, where, God, uh, where Christ affirms his deity as eternal father. 
So that's what will be there. But I want you to consider something. Um, for me growing up, there were those moments in my life, and I think there's been several people who have played a huge impact on my life, but there's a place that I can remember that uh, is significant to me. My grandfather uh, would always, about every three years, he would buy him a Ford Ranger XLT pickup, and he would buy the single cab, long wheelbase, uh, and I remember those. And uh, from the time I was young enough to remember, I couldn't tell exactly when, but my grandfather loved about this time of the year the pecans had fallen. They had a pecan tree, and he had a pocket knife, uh, like men of that generation always had a pocket knife. And I cannot tell you the number of hours that I've spent with him, but it's indelibly uh, written into my mind and my heart. We would sit on the tailgate of his Ford pickup, and he would take his knife out, and he would, those old-timers are good at it, and he could carve open that pecan. And he would share, and I do remember uh, him sharing um, several things that are me that are very personal, and they really said a lot about who he was as a man. And, and, and even though I was young, the, especially two specific things that he said to me, uh, they were on that tailgate. They were just where they happened, on the tailgate of that truck. And, and, uh, and we sat there many hours over the years, from probably the time I was 9 or 10 until about 14. I wish I could go back to that tailgate. I, I truly do. I would just give, I couldn't tell you how much that would mean to me to be able to sit on the tailgate uh, at 2054 West Woodlawn in San Antonio, Texas, and sit next to my grandfather and hear his uh, loving wisdom, loving wisdom, wisdom full of love. So maybe you've got a place like that. I'm going to pick on Paul Jenkins, and Mike, it's good that you're here this morning. Um, when I think back to those places in my life, Mike Street, if you don't know him, uh, he was a rancher in Sonora. His parents were I, for many, well, his, the, all his life. And he lives here now in Bryan College Station. But I had the opportunity, and it's been, I know I was in my 20, I was 28 or 29, so it had been over 30 years ago when you asked me, Paul, uh, you invited me to the opportunity to go hunt out at Mike's. I look back now at that place. Uh, that was such, I, you cannot tell you, uh, if you said one thing that I would enjoy the most in that point in my life was driving from Abilene to the, the street ranch. It really, I love that uh, where you cut off and you're, you're going through Fort McCavitt and you're heading down the road. There. There's no telling what you were going to see. I love the land, very unique. But being in Paul's Ford truck, which he still has, that old gold Ford pickup, and riding around with him and uh, one thing in particular, and it really resonates, and that's why I want to share this. Uh, my boys were young, I, probably 10 and 8, and Paul, we went into Sonora and we read it, and Paul, in that truck, um, he put the car in park, and we were going to go into a convenience store, and he said to me, I don't know if you remember it, I remember it very clearly, Paul said, Aubrey, you shouldn't call your son's buddy. I was calling my head and say, hey, buddy. He said, and he said this to me in love. And I was probably 30, 31, 32. He said, your children are not your friends. They're not supposed to be your friends. There'll be a time when they can be your friends. But they need you to be their father. 
And it was love that inspired him to say that to me. It was something God put on your heart, and you felt the need to say that to me. I remember that. It was a place, that stupid old truck, in that wonderful place out there in Sonora. But what a great place. I, I loved going in that travel trailer. I loved sitting out there. We'd have a fire and grill steaks, and Mike, you'd come over, and you had your uh, annoying dogs. And, uh, you know, it was such a, it was a, a place. It was just geography, but it was a place. Now, I, I want you to think about Christ. A moment in his ministry that has to do with eternal Father. So, but before we go to John, look at 1 Kings chapter 6. Now, verse 1. Now, it came about in the 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel. Timeline. You could preach a sermon just on that. In the month of Ziv which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. Geography. Point of interest. Point of emphasis. As for the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, and its width 20 cubits, and its height 30 cubits, and now. And the porch, and the porch in front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits in length, corresponding to the width of the house, and its depth along the front of the house was 10 cubits. Now, that would become known as Solomon's porch. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in this record of the kings, uh, it was noteworthy. It was a noteworthy place. Solomon was building the temple, entrance to the temple, and by the way, there's a porch. (laughs) There were several, but this porch, the first porch mentioned, would be Solomon's porch, portico, porch. Well, you could just read that and miss the significance of it. Uh, so John chapter 10, verse 22. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. Now, the feast of the dedication was, I don't know how familiar you are with the history of the Jews, but 164 B.C., 164 years uh, B.C., uh, there was a revolt. There was a a group called the Maccabeans. And the Maccabeans, they were Jewish zealots. They revolted against uh, Antioch Epiphanes. And they uh, were able to gain control of Jerusalem. They gained control of the temple. They rededicated the temple. They cleansed and purified the temple. And something happened. I don't know if you're familiar with the menorah candle, but there was a menorah candle in the temple. And there was only enough oil to light it for one day. But when they lit it, when the Maccabeans lit that menorah candle, it stayed lit for eight days. And so, hence, the Feast of Dedication, hence, you and I call it, the Jews call it Hanukkah. Now, if you look at the calendar historically, and the way that changes each year, you know when Hanukkah is right now? December 11th through December 18th, right now. They just celebrated Hanukkah, the Feast of the Dedication. Now, I don't believe in coincidence. And by the way, I think if those of you that are stargazers, I think tomorrow night they're calling it the Christmas star where Pluto and two of the planets align and the brightness of that. I think you'll be able to go out at sunset 
and see this. And you ought to do that. I'm, I plan on doing it. But uh, it's called the Christmas star. That's what they're calling it. So back to this, this moment in the life of Jesus. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter right now. Be just almost to the date right now. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon, in the porch of Solomon. We just read about it. Here's the beauty of Scripture. Somebody, I don't know the first time I heard it, but somebody said there are so many flyover verses in the Bible. You just kind of fly over them or you fly past them. A moment is about to happen that Isaiah said, given a child that would be born and the government would rest on his shoulders and, 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 and he would be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Eternal Father. Here's the moment. Don't miss the significance of the where and the when. Feast of dedication. The, the, the temple had been retaken and purified and rededicated. Now, 190 years after that event, Jesus, wonderful counselor, Emmanuel, God with us, mighty God. Read that term in Revelation 1.8, almighty God. Thomas's affirmation preached on that last word, my Lord and my God. And now another moment. And where's the significance for you and I? Because on this porch, this place, verse 24, the Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. He said, I told you, and I've shown you. And if you were to go back to the ninth chapter, Jesus had healed a man born blind. And the religious leaders of the day were at odds over that. There were some that were quoting all the way back to Exodus where, you know, you couldn't, if it was a good miracle, Moses had said it, it would have to be from God. There were others that were saying he has a demon. A blind man was healed. He had been blind from his birth. And if you remember, there was this question. Because the Jews did what you and I do. We'll, we'll take a, a, a disease or, or somewhat maybe is a, a bad circumstance and we'll associate it with somebody's sin. So they said, well, surely this blind man, uh, somebody had to sin. Did he sin or was his parents who sinned? And Jesus said neither. This, this man is not blind. And you want to talk about some big boy theology? He says, this man wasn't blind because of his sin or his parents' sin. He was blind so that it, through his life, at this moment, the works of God would be on display. So there was a great confusion about Jesus. Not because there should have been. Jesus said, I've shown you and I've told you. And uh, the truth of the matter is, these bear witness to me, but you do not believe because you are not 
of my sheep. You're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and, and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, eternal life to them. And they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Eternal Father. And the next verse ought to break your heart. The Jews. You know what that means? The people of God. And the people of God took up stones again, again, to stone him. A blind man had been healed to put on the display, display the works of God. And the leader of the leaders of God's people, as well as God's people, couldn't didn't understand it, argued over it, and then they're on the porch, Solomon's porch, and they said, "Would you just tell us plainly?" They said, "Well, I have, <laughs> I have, and you've seen it, but you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep." But I'm going to tell you, something is happening. Not going to happen. It is happening. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they'll never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Now, I don't know how you would testify to your relationship with God. I, I don't know. I don't know if you would proudly say that I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I don't know. You might do it in the confines of this building. Maybe you would you do that in the privacy of your home. Would you do it at the workplace? Would you say it boldly? Would you, would you say it uh, in the midst of family members? This is the time of year where they gather that maybe, you know, I don't want to seem like a religious fanatic uh, we got members of the family. Maybe they're not Christian. I don't know. But I don't know how you would or wouldn't state your relationship with God. I don't know that you would say, I'm one of his sheep. I'm a Christian. And, and because I'm a Christian, I hear his voice and I follow him. And let me tell you why. Because. He is my eternal father. Go with me to John chapter 8. I, I couldn't help but think of this when I think of this moment, the moments leading up to this. Um, if you were to go uh, to the Sermon on the Mount in the seventh chapter, Jesus makes a, a statement about a father. He says, if you being evil fathers, and this is right after Matthew 7 and 7, where Jesus in that sermon says, uh, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. And then he goes on to use an illustration. If, 
you being evil fathers would know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father in heaven, he would give the kind of gifts that he would give. So he makes that application in that Sermon on the Mount. In referencing father, if you go to Hebrews, there's a great passage in there. We'll probably look at that about discipline in a father. Okay, But here's the truth. We all have temporary fathers. Noah, that's your temporary father. He's your father, but he's a temporary father. Well, I have a temporary father. We all have father figures in our life. But there's only one eternal father. Well, that's not true. There's two eternal fathers. Huh? John chapter 8. Jesus in this great conflict. Um, God's people were seeking to kill him. And he's having this debate about their offspring. They're Abraham's, you know, Father Abraham, and you're Abraham's offspring. In verse, uh, in verse 37, he says, speaking to these Jews about their being their heritage and Abraham's offspring. He says, I know that you're Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. You're talking about the same father? They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come of my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Remember the father, the the shepherd, my sheep, my sheep hear my, I know them, they know me, they hear my voice and they follow me. You can't because you can't hear my word. Why? Because here's who your eternal father is. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, truth, you do not believe me. Satan's an eternal father. He will exist eternally. And he's the father of all lies. His native tongue is deception all the time. Now, why have I just said that? My greatest desire is that God's children, that we do hear his voice and we follow it. Because he is indeed our eternal father. Paul just read a passage out of Ezekiel. It happened on the porch, by the way. And if you'll go back to that passage, it's a vision of the Christ. Ezekiel, this great prophet of God, 
in a vision. It's called in the visions of God. God's way of seeing things. Takes Ezekiel, grabs him by a lock of his hair, and he takes him to a place, this, the temple. It's in the porch, by the way. Solomon's porch. And he said, you need to see something, Ezekiel. Abominations. And they're greater, and they're greater, and they're greater. The, the 70 elders, the leaders of God's people, are in this room, the sanctuary room, inner sanctuary room of the temple, and they've, they've put on the wall all these graven in, I- images. It's Romans chapter 1, where Paul would say, that all men are guilty. We all fall short of the glory of God and that we'll never have an excuse because the invisible attributes of God have now been made, made known through the creation. And then he would go on to say that, that people would, what? Worship the creation rather than the creator. Right there in the first chapter. And so now you have a vision. Jesus is taking Ezekiel inside the temple. Dig, there's a hole here. It shouldn't be a hole here. Dig through that hole. The 70 elders of Israel, they're, they're, they're graven in images. And then you go to another place and they're worshiping uh, the Babylonian god, Tammuz, which is the god of sun, the god of the sun. And he said, but greater abominations than these you're going to see. What was the root of that? What was really happening right there in this great passage in Ezekiel, what, what, what was taking place? Well, there was this great abomination that was taking place, wasn't there? And in that abomination, what was really taking place was a a wickedness that promoted idolatry. Worshiping a false god. And it was because of this. In verse 12, he says, Then he said to them, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark? Each man in the room of his carved images. For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He references that twice. Church, I want to talk about eternal father. We say that we're Christians. We say it's the advent. I heard a preacher say recently that he was always thankful for the advent, but he was always uh, reticent. There was always a, something that happened every Christmas and Easter. And he said, I couldn't, I used to call him Christian and Easter uh, Christians, he said, "I don't anymore. I call them Christian, uh, uh, or I call them uh, uh, Easter Sini, Christmas and Easter participants." He doesn't call them. I used to call them Christmas Sini, Christmas and Easter Christians. He said, "I don't. I call them Christian and Easter participants." And he said, "I, I know the Word of God doesn't come back void, and so I'm thankful that they're there." But he said, "Christianity at its very core, there has to be a depth to it." Jesus just stated the death. You're not one of my children because you do not hear my voice and you don't follow me. He would say it even more clearly in Matthew 25. There's going to be people that say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. I never knew you. 
And so when we say, and we quote Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, a son will be born to us, a child will be given to us, the government shall rest on his shoulder, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. And then you back it up and you start going through Scripture, and now you have a place, there's, there's the place, it's the advent. It's between the birth of Christ, the advent, and the returning of Christ. And he's on the porch, and he says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I and the Father are one. And they picked up stones to kill him. By the way, I've got to say this. I would challenge any of you. This would be a challenging study. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find anything that Jesus says in the red letter words that you would say is politically correct. Given the litmus test of our last election, it's always amazing to me when Christians talk about how offensive Donald Trump is. I don't care who the president is, and I really don't. I have my right to vote, and I will vote. But when they say things, you know, the way that man, just his personality, you sure wouldn't vote for Jesus. (laughs) He called a Syrophoenician woman a dog. And her descendants, dogs. It's in the Bible. He was using the term fake news before anybody did. You hypocrite, you hypocrite, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. And he just called these people. He said, let me tell you who your father is. It's Satan. Now, you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He never backed up when it came to sin. He never backed up when he, at any point in his life, he did never say anything PC. He would not pass the litmus test for some in the political world of who we would vote for. Does that mean that? And I don't say that as an indictment of who you voted for. I just say that about serious Christianity. I say that about an eternal father and our understanding of him. He didn't come down here to mince words. He didn't come down here to be a a, a sweet little-natured puppet. And yet he had greater compassion and greater love than anybody has ever known. But we have, we literally have dumbed him down to the point that it fits my cultural understanding versus the biblical reality. And the biblical reality is eternal father. And he didn't come down here to be our buddy. He didn't spend his life here on earth uh, so that you and I could be consoled according to our level of consolation. He came down here to share his life in a greater way, in the greatest way, in the most sacrificial way, so that you and I could understand, oh my God. You are worth hearing. And you are worth following. Eternal Father. And the problem that God's people had was this. When you go back to that temple, that porch moment, God's people can literally be be so earthly and so worldly that we believe this. He doesn't see me. He doesn't listen to me. He's forsaken the land, and he's not here. You know what was going on? You know why there was a hole in the temple wall? 
You know why they were carving graven images? You, You know why? You know why they were worshiping a Babylonian king who had become Adonis in the Greek and Roman culture? You know why they were prostrating themselves and worshiping the creation rather than the creator? God's people. Because they had bought a lie. And the lie was, the land is forsaken and God is not with us. And if Satan wants you to believe any lie at all, the father of all lies, the eternal father of all lies, he wants you to believe that God has forsaken you. He wants you to believe that the land is forsaken. He wants you to believe that God doesn't see you. That's the doorway. That's the porch entry to idolatry. That comes first. I want to challenge you as you think this Advent season's about, about Christ being eternal father. I don't know. I have to tell you. I, we did this in class this morning. I'm not going to revisit it. I would just ask you to name any major policy that any president that's been alive in your life is, you know, we say he's the most powerful man in the free world. That's baloney. He's a man. But you probably can't even name a real policy or policies that seem to must have been earth. Oh, this is a big policy. But we got social media and we got every news outlet. And, we got, and they're all trustworthy, honest people. That was a joke. No, it was a sadness is what it was. But we give our attention. We give our attention. And we look at it and we hear it and we drive around. Oh, my. Oh, my. What if he gets control of the Senate? Oh, my. What if they stack the Supreme Court? Oh, my. You know, the same Supreme Court that decided abortion was okay. You know, oh, but we got a majority now. Oh, that's good, my sin man. Oh, my. We're going to become socialist. God is not in the land. He's forsaken us. He's not hearing us. Really? Because, you know what that speaks of? Graven images and idolatry and an abomination. It does. Eternal Father. His voice says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. His voice is that there's no weapon that could be fashioned against you that will prosper. You might die physically. My wife, she was doing doing a personal Bible study. She said, I had to ask you a question in Luke in the gospel here. It's talking about, well, if you're a Christian, this is going to happen. You know, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to die. Oh, but not even one hair of your head is going to perish. Now, wait a second. You know what? You might. You probably will. Maybe you will. I don't know. Being a Christian is the promise of maybe great suffering. We've been very fortunate in this country. But not one, one of the hair on your head will perish. What does he mean? You and I will not perish. We will die here on this earth, but we will not perish. Why? Because we have an eternal Father. And he is our Savior. And he is the son of God. I'm going to stop there. I need to go further. I want to challenge you. You should read the third chapter of the book of Acts, the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. You ought to read Hebrews in in the the, uh, 12th chapter about the discipline of a father. 
those additional places. But in the third and fifth chapter of the book of Acts, some great things were happening in the New Testament church that proved that he was the eternal father. God's word was being proven in the New Testament church. It's being proven today. It is being proven today. And the great hope that we have in this Advent season is that he is our eternal father. And all he has asked us to do is to hear his voice and follow him. Hear his voice. How many voices do you allow um, in your hearing today? Uh, I don't mean this to embarrass my wife, but she's ahead of me in the curve, and she really is. And I mean that. She humbled me. And I mean that in the not trying to win favor with her. I'm telling you the truth. She said to me, I don't know, she said, you know what? I, I just want to get rid of the TV. No more gun smoke? I had already walked away from the NFL and the NBA and the Major League Baseball. They have no interest to me anymore. They don't. But gun smoke? The Virginian? High Chaparral? The Rifleman? Wanted dead or alive? What about the Cowboy Channel? RFD? So, yeah, I think we need to get rid of it. Oh. She's serious. She, she had come to her own personal conviction about the Hallmark Channel and a movie that they're going to be promoting. I'm not even going there. So I guess we're going to get rid of the TV. I will say this, it's a voice. I'm not telling you to do that. But it's a voice, and we follow those voices. And the eternal father of the advent says, my sheep know me. They hear my voice and they follow me. And as I said, there's another eternal father, the father of all lies. How much of his voice do we listen to and follow him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, We do praise you because you indeed are our eternal Father. You intervene for us. And you love us in ways that we just, the best that we can offer, it's just earthly. And it's temporary. But your love is eternal. Your fatherly love is eternal. And we want to praise you and give you honor for that. And Father, I pray that our ears are inclined to hear your voice and our heart is inclined to follow you as our eternal Father. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.